Blog Talk Radio. Take a licking. <laughs> there is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you. Just call for Super Chicken. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer radio show brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of the Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and Editor-in-Chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and, of course, living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with a Chicken Whisper, brought to you by Kalmbach At Kalmbach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, Feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. I'm about to say something that may shock you. There's a chance the mealworm treats you're feeding your chickens are doing them more harm than good. Most of the mealworms sold in the U.S. are hollow and empty because of how they're processed, leaving them with little or no nutritional value. The problem is chickens love healthy insects like mealworms, but there hasn't been a way to get access to them in large quantities. Until now. The only mealworm company I endorse is The Honest Worm because of the way they raise and process their mealworms. Now, they've set aside some bags only for my listeners to try for free. Just cover the cost of shipping and handling. Head on over to freemealworms.com. That's freemealworms.com. If you don't see sold out at the top of the page, that means there's still some bags left, but only for a limited time. Go to freemealworms.com and get your free bag today. Sweet PDZ has been keeping horse stalls ammonia-free and healthy for nearly 33 years. However, ammonia is ammonia, regardless of the species producing it. Therefore, it will do the same great job in your chicken coops and brooders. 
Sweet PDZ safeguards flock health by neutralizing and eliminating harmful levels of ammonia and odors. Safe and effective moisture absorption. All natural, non-toxic, premium grade zeolite mineral. Contains no masking scents or chemical perfumes. Safe and beneficial to dispose with waste on compost and gardens. Learn more at SweetPDZ.com. That's SweetPDZ.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Strombergs family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Strombergs should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at strombergschickens.com. That's strombergschickens.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFradio.com. That's GQFradio.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. This looks like a job for... Super Chicken? You get the super sauce, I'll don my super suit. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky... (laughs) You'll know it's... Super Chicken. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by our good friends over at Kalmbach Feed. Uh, in fact, speaking of Kalmbach Feeds, I'm getting ready to go on my uh, spring tour, spring 2018 Blockbuster tour, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. And uh, I've got my tour dates and stops and times right here in front of me. I just pulled it up. And uh, I'll go over that with you. Of course, this will be on our website if it's not already. I haven't checked it today or even really, I guess, this week, but it, it's probably on our website already. So you can zoom on over there to chickenwhisperer.com and check out where we're going to be, primarily in Michigan and Ohio this spring. And we're going to be visiting a lot of the uh, family farm and home stores up there in Michigan, many stops at family farm and home. And uh, I don't believe we have those down here down south. And of course, we have the uh, TSCs and some other uh, chain stores like that. Uh, but uh, we don't have a family farm and home down south of the Mason-Dixon line, I guess, that I'm aware of. So I'm looking forward to uh, working with those great folks and visiting their stores and seeing what they're all about and really just spreading the chicken love all around the country like we've been doing for the last, well, probably a decade now. And uh, 33 states, just about every state, I think, east of the, uh, well, east of Texas uh, that we've been in spreading the chicken love. So uh, let's go through these real quick here. Uh, the first event actually starts on April the 6th, uh, Friday, April 6th. I'll be at Family Farm and Home in Coldwater, Michigan, and that's going to be at 5.30 p.m. Uh, then uh, continuing that weekend, Saturday the 7th, we have two shows 
uh, on, let's see, Saturday, the 7th Family Farm and Home in Grand Rapids, Michigan. That's a 10 a.m. Uh, workshop. And then that same Saturday, the 7th, we'll be in Wayland, Michigan for a 4 p.m. start at our workshop. That's also Family Farm and Home. And then uh, the next day, Sunday, Family Farm and Home. And, uh, and I'll probably pronounce these horrible. Uh, Muskegon, uh, Michigan, Muskegon, or Muskegon, Michigan. And uh, that's, uh, let's see, a noontime start for Sunday, April 8th, the Family Farm and Home. And then Sunday also, later that afternoon, Family Farm and Home in Nuego, Michigan. And that's a 4 p.m. start time. And then Tuesday, April 10th, we will be at Tri-Country Feed Service in New Era, Michigan. And that's a 6 p.m. start time. That's Tuesday evening at Tri-Country Feed Service um, in New Era, Michigan, 6 o'clock p.m. workshop time there. Then we have a couple of days off. And then Friday, getting geared up for the weekend again, Friday the 13th. Oh, my goodness, do I want to be on tour during Friday the 13th? <laughs> April, Friday, April 13th. Uh, looks like I'll be in uh, Adrian, Michigan, at the Family Farm and Home there in Adrian. That's a 5:30 start time. Saturday, uh, we got a couple of shows on Saturday. Let's see, Saturday, April 14th, Family Farm and Home in Chelsea, Michigan. It's uh, at the 10 a.m. start time. Also that same Saturday, the 14th. Um, let's see, Mason, Michigan, Family Farm and Home in Mason. Uh, Michigan, and that's a 4 p.m. start time. And then uh, Sunday, doubling up on our uh, workshops on the weekend. Sunday, family, farm, and home in uh, Corona. Yeah, Corona, Michigan. Uh, my eyeglasses aren't quite zooming in here. Yeah, Corona, Corona, um, Michigan, and that is at noon. Noon on Sunday, family, farm, and home in Corona, Michigan. And then uh, Sunday also uh, at 4 p.m. Family Farm and Home in Fenton, Michigan. And we wrap up our Michigan tour here Monday, April 16th at, uh, let's see, Ida Farmers. Ida Farmers in Ida, Michigan. That's a 6 p.m. start time. It's going to be there at their store, uh, the Ida Farmers store in uh, Ida, Michigan, Monday, April 16th, 6 p.m. start time. Then wrapping it up in Ohio, Tuesday, April 17th, I'll be in Delaware, Ohio. That'll be a 6.30 start time. That's a champion to feed and pet supply. In uh, Delaware, Ohio, Tuesday, April 17th, uh, champion feed and pet supply. Then Wednesday, Wednesday, April 18th, I'll be at 5.11, seed, feed, and supply. That's going to be in Nova, Ohio. That's a 6.30 p.m. start time. Uh, 5.11, seed, Feed and Supply, and that's uh, Wednesday, April 18th. Thursday the 19th, that wraps it up for the tour. Thursday, April 19th, be this and that shop, and that's going to be in Jeromesville. Yeah, Jeromesville, Ohio, <clears throat> and that is uh, at the store at 6.30 uh, p.m., 6.30 p.m. So we've got Thursday the 19th, the this and that shop. I'm sure my wife will find something in there to buy. Just the name of the store sounds like something she would probably buy something from. <laughs> in Jeromesville, Ohio, that'll be at the store, 6.30 p.m. That's going to wrap up my spring tour 2018. Looking forward to it. I've already been outside uh, yesterday. I got the back of the truck already. 
I've got all my uh, handouts. Well, not quite. I still have some books on the way. I've got uh, probably 700 Chicken Whisperer magazines. I've got hundreds of handouts and a uh, really cool spiral notebook laminated uh, info uh, notebooks from the USDA, uh, Biosecurity for Birds program, tons of cardstock from them, uh, handouts, brochures on avian influenza, exotic Newcastle disease. So uh, when you come to these events, there'll be tons and tons of free stuff you can have. There'll be tons of prizes that we give away. And then, of course, you'll learn all about keeping backyard poultry from yours truly. And uh, so we it was kind of about a week ago, we kind of got geared up, getting started. I was out organizing all those handouts today in the back of the truck, getting that ready, and uh, just got to gear it up, you know, get on the road. And that's actually just a shorter tour. That, well, we're doing 15 events, but since they're doubled up on the weekends, the, the time frame, normally we're out on the road for about 30 days, but it only looks like it's about 17 days this time. But still, when you travel with a five year old, a seven year old wife, all your equipment, and you're traveling across the country, it takes some doing <laughs> to get that done. But we wouldn't have it any other way. So I uh, hope to see you on the road uh, up in Michigan or Ohio. So it'll be very, you know, well, I'll be signing books as well. Um, the um, Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens book and also the uh, Chicken Fact or Chicken Poop book. Actually, I won't have many of those, if any. I think I've got eight here. Um because they're on back order until May 1st. They must be selling really, really well, because uh, when the author can't get his own books until May 1st, which, how convenient, is after the uh, uh, um, tour. It's not necessarily it's a book tour. It's more of a workshop, educational-type thing, but it's uh, but we do sell books at the end of the uh, workshop. But I will have the uh, original, actually, it's the revised original book uh, that my co-host today actually co-authored, and uh, we'll have those available. And I guess if you're at the first stop, <laughs> we'll have eight of the new books available because I do have eight of those. But when I tried to order the uh, new Chicken Fact or Chicken Poop book, which is apparently selling fabulous because they've already sold out of the first printing. We're waiting for the second printing. And it just came out, I think, December. And uh, waiting on that, I think May 1st was the next uh, rollout for the second printing of the books. So anyhow, that's what we've got going on this spring. I'm trying to think of any going on that might tickle your fancy. Um, the tour, USDA, I think that's probably, oh, magazine. Uh, we'd love you to um, subscribe. And if you want to subscribe to the free edition, that's perfectly fine with us. Uh, just head over to chickenwhisperermagazine.com. There'll probably be a button at the top of the page where you can subscribe to the digital magazine, which is free. And, uh, and you'll see, you can flip through the pages just like if you were sitting in your easy chair reading the real printed magazine. Uh, if you want the real printed magazine, we do that too. Um, we'll mail that right to your mailbox. And you can sit there in your easy chair and read all about backyard poultry. Science-based, fact-based, study-based information. And um, there's links on the website at chickenwhisper.com where you can go and get the magazine and go and get the books if you're interested in that. And, of course, our, our tour is going to be on the, on the website. So we hope you'll do that. All right, without further ado, I'm heading over to the phone lines, and we're going to talk with my good friend, Dr. Richard Gray, Ph.D., and today, one of my favorite episodes we do with her, and that is Poultry Research Translated, um, and that's where she takes current, for the most part, it's current, uh, science, uh, studies, research that's been done, and kind of translates, tran translates it for us kind of lay folks 
and, and how we may utilize this in our backyard or what it might mean to us or what it might mean to backyard poultry if it was done in a commercial setting, what that really means to our 612 birds in our backyard. So uh, one of my favorite, favorite episodes we do with Dr. McRae. So she is live now. Dr. McRae, thank you very much for uh, joining us today. We appreciate it, as always. Hello, hello. Hello. Oh, I want to say something real quick, too. Uh, my headset died. Um, I think it died during my last show uh, with Dr. Koteski, and uh, I'm very bummed about it because the thing was not cheap. I think I've had it maybe two years, a year to two years I've had this thing. And it wasn't cheap, but I love it. And uh, my sound quality uh, improved greatly when I started using this thing. It's from Blue Parrot. I use it when I'm on the road, too. Um, and it's, it's died. You better I mean, hurry charge up and up get and another I'll, one. I do. So so just if you're regular listeners and you're like, hey, he sounds like he's in a cave or he just sounds real hollow or he's breaking up a little bit, that is why. So uh, it looks like <laughs> I'm going to have to hit Amazon um, and pick up one of those and get one of those sent to me. Um, because it's, it really improved the quality of the uh, podcast. I mean, long-time listener can tell you that. So I really missed my headset, and that's why sound today is a little different than maybe you're used to. But I wanted to get that out there because I'll probably get some emails. Hey, you sounded kind of funky uh, on the episode today. Yeah. But, um, I was going to say, you sound but, a little bummed. Like, you need to get some energy in you for your big tour. I do need some energy, yep. And so, well, we, you know, we're, we're always vitamin takers. But you know what they've been out of lately because of flu season? And we've been kind of hermits because of the flu season, I'll be honest with you. But the um, elderberry. And, I mean, I go everywhere. Out, 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 out. Everybody's taking it. I can't get any. So i got to find that on Amazon, too, before we go. Just to boot, help boost our needs just a little oh. bit when we're on the road. Yep. Well, I've been working. Um, finding some really interesting articles for you guys. Awesome. Um, the first one I'm going to spend a little bit more time on because I think it is totally cool. Hopefully you all cool. will agree. Um, it came out in 2018 in the journal called British Poultry Science. It's called okay. Pasture Multi-Enzymes Benzoic acid and essential oils positively influence performance, intestinal organ weight, and egg quality in free-range laying hens. So, of course, that now, immediately caught my eye. Let me go, go ahead, ahead. And, and, and ask questions because I know our listeners are thinking and they're listening along. Now, they use the term free-range. I, I think mm-hmm. you said this was in the U.K., so a lot of no. people who have well, gotten wise. This is called British Poultry Science. Anybody can publish in it. Oh, gotcha. Okay, gotcha. Got it. Um, well, see, I was paying attention. I got something. I was close. Um, <laughs> but I know people are, okay, so now their, their, their classification in this, in this, what you're going to talk about, said free range, I think it said. Or, did it say free range or pasture raised? Free range. Free range. Now, now we, we know, like over here, uh, commercial poultry free range means the birds have access to the outdoors, <clears throat> not necessarily yep. pasture raised, which is that big term now that more folks are warning because pasture. So, so with, and during this, I uh, make clear to our folks so we all, all know what we're doing. Do you know if this was done these these birds in that kind of commercial style setting where they're still most of the time indoors, but they have access to the outside, or is this what we would most people would think? free range would be out on pasture, if you will. Does it give I'm going to let you that's, tell that's, me. 
I'm going to let you tell me after I describe the experimental method. Surroundings? So. Okay, great. You're going to have a pop quiz coming up. I'm ready. And, and I wasn't <laughs> going to do that to you, but you started asking questions, so now I'm going to treat you like I'm, one of I'm, my students. <laughs> I am on today. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. So whenever you start a research article, one of the first things you have to do is make a case for your research or why the research has value. So one of the things that these researchers, and, and this was really interesting because the research has three three groups of people, one group in Australia, one group from Singapore, and one group from Berlin, Germany. Okay. And, of course, I'm sitting there going, where was the research done? Turns out the research mm-hmm. itself was done in Australia. And the majority of the okay. researchers were from Australia. So... We know that when you put birds out on pasture, um, and remember this is this is taking a look at pasture in free-range laying hens. When you put birds out on pasture, it can actually can actually hurt feed intake, um, and you want feed intake. I mean, honestly, if if a bird is not taking in enough feed, it's going to be undernourished. Um, specifically with regards to energy levels in the diet and also micronutrients and macronutrients. So one of the things they're going to take a look at in this research study is to test if if the organ size increases. So if you increase organ size, then you can alter food retention time and and food passage rate. By doing those things, you can alter digestibility, how much nutrients you can get back. So another problem that they identified was that pasture is not readily available um, nutrition for birds. It, ha- it has low nutritive availability. Um, who cares? I mean, you well, got, yeah, you, yeah you, so you got, you got some grasses, and, and a lot of times, like I know Joe Salatin has, like, I forget how many different grasses he has out there. He'll name them all, seven, eight, ten, twelve different grasses. And and, and you, I guess you've got some bugs, you get a little bit of protein, a little bit of grasses and protein and whatever else they can find, which I would think that uh, what, what they have out there in the wild, out on the pasture, probably is uh, uh, not a whole lot of calcium either to help with their eggs, which then may turn into them using a lot of calcium pulling from their bones to produce those eggshells. So I would think that would be a negative um, well, if you're thinking about, about in the wild, technically, mm-hmm. technically speaking, chickens are from jungles. Yep. So pasture isn't necessarily part of the main part of the equation. That um, mm-hmm. doesn't mean that they don't eat plant materials. But because pasture is really, it defends itself. It's got strong cell walls. It's designed to resist being eaten. Um, So basically, because a lot of this pasture, if birds go out on pasture and they're not used to pasture, it can lead to increased fiber intake, and that can lead Mm -hmm. to gut impaction, either crop impaction, Mm -hmm. gizzard Mm -hmm. impaction, or even all the way down into the the duodenum and the ileum. Um, so one of the things that they were going to test in this study was enzyme supplementation, see if that helped. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
if you put enzymes into the diet that you're feeding your chickens, you can increase nutrient digestion by um, getting, helping that chicken break down the cell walls and releasing the nutrients that are hard to get to. So if you decrease the, the viscosity of the digesta, it makes it easier for enzymes to do their work so nutrients become available to the chickens. Am I making sense? Yeah, the, work, the enzyme is being different than uh, just probiotics. Because I know that there's a company, uh, right. Care Free Enzymes, that uses a lot of enzymes for insect control. Um, and I know yes. kind of how enzymes they work in, in that aspect. Yep, gotcha. Okay. And sometimes they're called carbohydrates. We know what carbohydrate ate versus an ACE. ACE is basically the enzyme that eats whatever's in front of the word. So a carbohydrase um, would break down carbohydrates. A lipase breaks down lipids, that sort of thing. Um, Now, when we focus on crop impaction, there have been reports and studies that farmers have had up to 70% mortality in free-range layers due to crop impaction. So... um, one of the things they decided to throw in there as a test is to try organic acids and um, see if that helped with crop impaction. Um, and they looked specifically at benzoic acids and essential oils, meaning specifically thymol, eugenol, and piperine. Now, thymol we know comes from thyme. Eugenol comes from a, you can find that in a variety of plants like clove, cinnamon, basil, bay, nutmeg. Um, piperine comes from black pepper. And so in this particular study, that, that's where I think the, the group from uh, Singapore came in. Um, they have a product called Crina Poultry Plus, C-R-I-N-A Poultry Plus. And it's designed to be mixed in with the feed and pelletized so it can handle pelletization. All right, so one of the effects um, has been that when they use this product in broiler chickens and rats, they see an increase in body weight gain, gain, uh, feed intake, improved feed conversion ratio. It alters the intestinal microbiome. And they also found that organic acids in other research studies have improved shell color, improved haul unit, and improved shell strength. Because if you're one of the problems that they identified that I kind of glossed over here was that some farmers have reported difficulties in maintaining shell strength um, and shell integrity uh, with their pasture raised eggs. So let's get to the part where you're gonna you're gonna answer your own question, Andy. They I think I've already heard enough information. <laughs> well <laughs> three hundred ISA brown layers. They, Love that they, breed. they got them when they were 16 weeks old. And so essentially they had two groups. Groups of chickens that were raised on pasture or had mm-hmm. access to pasture or had access mm. to gravel. Mm. So they had a big long house where the chickens had an indoor portion that contained, let me change the page here. 
if I can. Um, the pens were indoors that had perches, free access to food and water, two nest boxes. Um, and so part of the indoor area had some bedding and part of the indoor area had flat. And it's the outdoor area that was either gravel or pasture. So they they kept these chickens for 12 weeks. So remember, they're, they're already 16 weeks old, but they kept them an additional 12 weeks. And they did testing at six weeks, which they're calling short-term, and 12 weeks, which they're calling long-term. They had five pens that was their control feed. Um, they had five pens that had enzymes in the diet and five pens that had um, the benzoic acid and essential oils, the, the Carina Poultry Plus. So you've got 15 pens on gravel and 15 pens on pasture, and away we go. So, oh, and specifically their pasture that they used was tall fescue, and they had a wheat-soy-based diet. Now, here in the U.S., we use a corn-soy-based diet. However, up in Canada, they tend to use a mostly wheat-soy-based diet. So depending on, you know, whether it's corn or wheat that's more readily available in your country, your diet changes just a little bit. So that's one of the differences between um, what we might feed here and what they'll feed there. Taking a, a close look at the pasture, um, at the start, the pasture was one to two inches tall. However, and they included photos, which was totally cool, it was depleted by six weeks. Um, and that was, you know, only the first half of the trial. But by 12 weeks, it was denuded. <laughs> um, and they, what they essentially did is they started with 10 birds per, pe- uh, per pen. And at six weeks, they would pull five birds from each pen out and do the organ testing, which I'll describe in just a, a moment. Um, and then they continue with the remaining birds per the, per pen. And based on the photos, it kind of looked like the pens might have been five by ten, um, maybe. Uh, however, they used a fisheye lens in their photo to take a larger picture, and that kind of distorts the, the space. So I'm kind of mm-hmm. guessing at that. Um, all right. They collected eggs three times a day at 9 a.m., noon, and 7 p.m. And at six weeks, um, what did I write? Oh, I missed the one. At six weeks and 12 weeks, um, they took five chicks, um, humanely stunned them, and then, um, killed them. And they org- they harvested the organs. Specifically, they looked at the gizzard, the liver, and the pancreas. Um, and again, at 6 and 12 weeks, they took five eggs from each pen, which I think those numbers were a bit small, but, you know, depends on what their budget was. Um, five eggs per pen were randomly selected and analyzed. They looked at shell color, shell weight, egg weight, shell breaking strength, shell thickness, albumin height, haul unit, and yolk score. Get this, as far as their results are concerned, they didn't have any mortality. Woo-woo! 
Yeah. That's pretty awesome <laughs> in my book. So um, when they started to report the results, they did this for all the hens. So some of the things they found was that um, over time, as you moved from six weeks to 12 weeks, you saw an increase in egg weight. You saw an increase in body weight, egg mass, an uh, an improvement in feed conversion ratio, and a decrease in feed intake. That's for all the birds. It doesn't matter if they're pasture or gravel. Uh, The body weight for hens on pasture was greater over the hens that were kept on gravel. And they also laid heavier eggs. Pretty cool finding. Um, Regardless of whether or not the birds were raised on gravel or pasture, hens on the enzyme diet were heavier. Um, Organ weights were lower over time for all the hens, regardless of whether or not they were on gravel or pasture. Pastured hens had an increased weight on organs um, over the the gravel hens. That's all the organs, gizzard, um, pancreas, Mm -hmm. liver. Uh And there were bigger livers on hens fed enzymes, regardless of whether they were on pasture or gravel. Um, Also, Egg weight increased over time. Shell weight increased over time. Albumin height decreased over time. Haw unit decreased over time. Shell breaking strength decreased over time. And so did shell thickness. That's for all hens, regardless of their housing system. Now, I say egg weight increased. Um, Essentially, they they moved from 2-ounce eggs to 2.2-ounce eggs, which is consistent with what we call moving from a, a size USDA size large egg to a USDA size extra large egg. Pastured hens had darker yolks. Well, that's a no-brainer. <laughs> um, so that's some of the results that they had in this study, which was beautifully done. I would have gone longer. Uh, I I would say, and we always flaw, find the flaws or pick apart a research um, study to see what we would do differently. Um, I would say, you know, it's only 12 weeks. Um, they didn't start with chicks in those conditions. The housing was stationary. And, you know, they chose tall fescue, and they, they did say why they chose tall fescue, and it's because that's what the majority of farmers said that they had on their property. So that makes sense. But, you know, I'd like to see what different grasses do. Um, so that's kind of a neat study. So what what do you feel is the answer to your question, Andy? Well, it sounds like they were in houses because they had access to the outside, and that outside portion was either gravel or grass. Yes, it wasn't a separate coop. It was a a big, long, what looked like a pole building um, with pop holes that were sufficiently sized that led outside to a, a pen. Um, and, you know, that's that's a very efficient way to design a research study. However, um, you know, it's not Joel Salatin's movable pens. 
And who knows? Maybe that's what they're working on next. If so, they, they need to give me a call. I'll head right out there. <laughs> That'd be a great internship for me, wouldn't it? Oh, God. So I've got another study um, that I found interesting, and I thought I would share with your listeners. Um, <clears throat> it's a little bit of an older study. It's from 2009, um, but I just now found it. It's taking a look at the effect of storage time, temperature, and hen age on egg quality in free-range layer hens. Um, I wouldn't say that this was as well-described, and it's not from a well-known journal, so I have some concerns about this study, but let's talk about it anyhow. Um, (laughs) So... This research was done, um, let's see, where was it done? It was done in Turkey, the country of Turkey. And they looked at 360 eggs that came from brown nick hens. Now, that's a line that must come out of Europe because that's not one that I'm familiar with and I have not heard of it before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're called brown nick layer hybrids. Um and those birds that from which they obtained the eggs were um, raised at a commercial egg farm in Turkey. Uh, the hens were anywhere from 22 to 50 weeks old. And so they were getting a variety of, of eggs from, from hens of, of different ages. So that's one of their factors they were taking a look at was hen age. They also looked at storage time. So they also wanted to look at temperature because they can these things are all things that can affect the interior quality of the eggs. So they did testing on eggs that were fresh, but then they also stored eggs at two different temperatures, 4 degrees Celsius and 20 degrees Celsius, one much warmer than the other. So if you store eggs, they did it for three days, seven days, 10 days, and 14 days. So up to two weeks. And if you think about 20 degrees Celsius, yeah, that's pretty close to, mm-hmm. um, in some cases, countertop temperature. Um, <clears throat> so they found in their research as they were trying to figure out why, you know, why this research was important, that, of course, shelf life is a limited thing. And if you change the shelf life of something, you can decrease the quality. This is specifically important to the vitellin membrane, which we all know is that membrane that surrounds the yolk and separates the yolk contents from the albumin. Um, The strength of that vitellin membrane decreases as storage time increases. Now, who cares? Mm-hmm. Well, if you if you have yolk contents that suddenly start to break into the albumin, if there are any potentially organisms that would like to munch on the yummy and nutritious yolk contents, they now have a nutrient source. Um, and as you decrease temperature, in storage, you will decrease the movement of water from the albumin 
moving into the yolk. If you move water from the albumin into the yolk, you're stretching that vitamin membrane and stressing it. Therefore, again, back to the same problem, you don't want and start mixing mm-hmm. with the albumin because if there's anything in there, it'll start growing. Because there are aspects of the albumin, such as its pH and certain um, enzymes that will decrease or inhibit bacterial growth as long as the yolk contents aren't there to muddy the water. So one of the things they measured was the whole egg weight, the albumin height, the yolk height. They also measured the, the width on both of those. The pH, the haw unit, the air cell size, weight loss, because remember we're doing storage time, specific gravity and temperature. So what did they find? As storage time increases and temperature increases, you get an increase in weight loss. You also have negative effects on the specific gravity, um, the yolk and albumin index, which are indicated by the albumin height and width, the yolk height and width. Um, You also get get weight loss, an increase in weight loss as the hens age. Um, Also, as the hens age, you get in, uh, no, as you increase hen age, storage time, and temperature, all of these are huge contributing factors to increases in weight loss. So one of the last things they, they found was that the albumin pH and the yolk pH um, increased uh, with storage time and um, higher storage temperatures. So this is just a really nice, neat little breakdown of why we don't store our eggs on countertops um, and why here in the U.S. We like to have eggs stored at refrigeration temperatures. Um, the quality issues, um, we don't necessarily want to turn over our eggs very quickly or have a lot of waste because if you're constantly throwing eggs out because they aren't at the quality that you need for this reason, that reason, or another reason, then, you know, that's, well, it's a wasteful practice. And, you know, we we do try to do things Um, efficiently so that, you know, animal products aren't thrown away. If an animal is is raised commercially, um, not everybody likes that, so it's best to keep those eggs in such a manner that that waste is not occurring. What questions might you have about that, Andy? Mm, I was trying to follow along. That's a lot of information. (laughs) I'm still trying to put it all together to see what what at the end of the day what how that study is going to help anybody or what's going to if anything's going to change based on all this time they spent. They looked at a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. And um, so if your hen is older, there's a an increased likelihood that you'll have higher weight loss um, in your eggs especially if you're keeping them out on the counter. So if you've got an older flock, you would definitely want to pick up those eggs during, um, during, like, say, hot weather 
so that you don't um, have diminished interior quality of those eggs so that when you're making your angel food cake, it comes out perfect every time. Hello? Uh Uh-oh, I lost Andy. Can you hear me? I'm back now. Yeah, I got disconnected. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Okay. You had me worried for a moment there. Um... (laughs) So so next time you're making your angel food cakes, you know, find young hens. That's part of the moral of the story. Well, Makes I've got three me. more hey. articles that are kind of shorter, but do you want to go to commercial break to first? Break. Yep, I'll go to break now. And then um, I had a question when I got disconnected about this last study, but I don't remember. That's fine. We'll go to break and <laughs> we'll come back and cover the last You'll story. remember it when like you're said, on break. I, I really miss my headset today, but um, yeah, we'll go through a break. If you're just tuning in, we're talking with poultry scientist Dr. Bridget Bray, PhD. We're talking about one of my favorite episodes that she does with us. That's Poultry Research Translated. She takes all this research and kind of translates it for us late people <laughs> and then uh, kind of explains what it says and what it means maybe for our small flocks in the backyard. So it's always cool, always interesting, and there's more to come right after this short break from our sponsor. Stay with us. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. How would you like to sleep in on the weekends without having to get up early to let your chickens out or not have to rush home after eating dinner to shut your chickens in for the night? And who's had the unfortunate surprise that a raccoon, possum, or fox got to your chickens because you forgot to close the coop? Well, your days of worrying have come to an end. Introducing the Chicken Guard Automatic Chicken Coop Door Opener. Working off either the timer or light sensor, Chicken Guard automatically opens your coop door in the morning to let the girls out and shuts it at night to keep them safe. Tried and trusted by over 40,000 users worldwide. Buy Chicken Guard online at chickenguardian.com or your local farm and feed store. That's chickenguardian.com. Want to protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster? 
nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and large fowl hens. They also come in several different styles and colors. Give your hens the protection they deserve by purchasing Hen Saver Hen Aprons today. 100% of all proceeds goes to provide care to rescued animals at Crazy K Farm in Hempstead, Texas. Purchase your Hen Saver Hen Aprons at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at idealpoultry.com. That's idealpoultry.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer here to tell you that if you have backyard poultry, nothing is more important than making sure your feathered friends are safe from infectious poultry diseases. Learn the simple steps to keep your birds healthy by visiting this website, healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. That's healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. A message from the USDA. Come back. Come back, back. Come back. Come back. Come back, 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 back. Come back, back, From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. All righty. Thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you by our good friends at Kalmbach Feeds. And today we're talking with Dr. Bridget McCray, Ph.D. We're talking about poultry research translated. If you tuned in late, halfway through, want to hear about the first research that we covered, not a problem. A few minutes after we go off air, this episode will be archived into a podcast that you can listen to 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all the time, even 10 years from now. So uh, let's get back over here to the phone line, and we'll bring back Dr. McCray. I still didn't remember that question, so we can go on to the next three that you said are a little bit shorter, so we'll continue. <laughs> oh, our memories. Um, <laughs> so, one of these other studies is kind of new for me. Um, I've never brought this topic up before. So it, I'm going to be kind of floundering with this one, but I just found it really interesting, and I, I still kind of want to tackle it. Um, okay. I may do very badly with this. We'll see. We'll see. Um, it's called Consumer Perception of Organic Food Production and Farm Animal Welfare. Um, okay. This is back from 2002 in the British Food Journal. And basically they wanted to test if, um, consumers, what they call conflate or confuse and inflate kind of, kind of organic and animal-friendly products. Um, mm-hmm. 
one of the things is that they noted that or the organic standard includes minimum welfare standards, but those standards do not far exceed legal regulations. And so they did, um, you know, they looked at the research and they found that some surveys indicated that consumers had a willingness to pay that was increased for improved welfare standards, um, that some people were concerned about additives. They lumped hormones, antibiotics, herbicides, pesticides, all in the same group. They had concerns about the environmental impact of intensive farming as well as um, the welfare of intensively farmed animals. Uh, Previous research kind of indicated that there were barriers to concerns by consumers. There was a lack of information, lack of availability, um, lack of personal influence, and uh, disassociation of products from the animal of origin and also higher cost for organic foods. Uh, one of they had three goals. They wanted to identify the buyer versus the non-buyer perceptions of organic products. They wanted to analyze the buyer versus non-buyer attribute or attitudes towards standards of animal welfare in organic production. Um, they also wanted to reveal any underlying values that motivate consumers to substitute or reduce consumption of animal-based products. So how did they do this? They found um, four focus groups. They created four focus groups, um, and this was located in the UK. They had six to eight people per group. All those people were parents of children, and the children were between 4 and 11 years old. Those people were the main food purchasers of the family. And those people had to know the meaning of the term organic. In order to find these people, they they found, um, they created a screening questionnaire, and that's how they selected their participants. Now, personally, I found their numbers to be a a bit low. However, the reasons behind why... uh, Certain numbers are used might be the size of the grant they got, um, time, so on and so forth. So essentially, group one and group two, focus group one and focus group two, those contained people who bought organic foods regularly. Focus groups three and focus groups four did not buy organic foods regularly, and some of them had never bought organic foods. Um, so when you're running a focus group, you have to start with a certain question, and they began with an open-ended question on general concerns that people had about food for their family. And that stimulated the conversation, you know, get people to relax and feel comfortable and, and share with the, the focus group. Then they moved to a transition question, and which was what changes were made, purchasing patterns, due to those concerns. And then the third question was perceptions of organic food. So essentially after they, and they recorded everything, um, transcribed all the conversations and, um, you know, kept records. So they, they found essentially that three groups emerged. 
and this is going to be no big surprise. Um, there was one group, group one, that was so concerned about food concerns that they, they made changes to the food they bought. Ta-da, that was your organic group. Then there was some group two that had some concern. They had um, uh, short-term changes to uh, food purchases or they they do not regularly buy organic. Uh, so that's the middle group. And the last group, group three, not concerned at all. Mostly it was financial motivations to their purchases and they, they did not buy organic. Interestingly enough, based on the conversations that they had in the focus groups, group three was um, unable or couldn't distinguish between organic and free range. So, you know, the the two terms confused them. They found uh, in this study that the main motivation for purchasing organic was health, not ethical concerns. Mm-hmm. They found that animal welfare is an indicator of, or this group found, the organic group found that animal welfare was an indicator of safety and healthfulness of food. But the group one organic buyers were more concerned with food related ethical issues. However, health came first. In the group two, the in between group, there was a decreased concern, um, decreased consumption of organic. Um, but they would sometimes go with free range. And, you know, but they're still concerned a little bit about health and ethical issues. However, the main story here is that people chose organic first for health um, with related to animal-based food products. But consumers um, want to express ethical concerns as, Extensions of their self-image, even though it was found to be ambivalent in the study. So, you know, if you were organic, you were still okay with with eating animal-based food products. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that was kind of interesting in my mind. Um, so that was consumer perception of organic food production and farm animal welfare. I don't think that makes I don't think any of that surprised me. Okay. The last one I'm going to talk about is an alternative bedding that I thought was kind of cool. cool. Um, uh, let's see if I could pull up the correct file. That would be way awesome. Where'd it go? There it is. <laughs> Chopped palm leaves as an acceptable bedding material for broiler production. Guess where this research was done, Andy? Florida. Egypt. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm thinking palm well, trees, baby. <laughs> Sitting that's, on the beach. That's pretty good, though. In, in a nice lounge chair with a nice little colorful drink with my straw, a non-alcoholic, of course, you know, thank you. And then, uh, you know, it's soaking in the sun, kids are playing Tonka trucks in the sand, and I see palm trees everywhere, and <laughs> I'm thinking about chicken bedding. I mean, what else would I be doing? <laughs> Actually, this, this research was done more in Saudi Arabia. It was a, um, a Saudi Arabia and, and Egypt um, combined study 
efforts were combined. Um, essentially, they used chopped um, they used chopped palm leaves um, and compared it to wood shavings and wheat straw. Um, they looked at growth performance, immune response, and air quality. Of course, because you know, mm-hmm. even though the birds perform well on it, if you know, if mm-hmm. it's constantly a mess in there, you're not gonna you're not gonna do well. Um, they took 3,240 one-day-old broilers, which they got from, guess what, Alabama, and raised them. They were Ross 308s. Um, they split them up into the three groups. Each group had six replicate pens. Um, all the birds were kept under similar environmental conditions except for the bedding. And um, they found that growth performance and total mortality rate really were not affected by the type of bedding material that the birds were on. However, they found that the group that was raised on chopped palm leaves as bedding um, had significantly reduced ammonia emissions compared to wood shavings and wheat straw. How cool is that? Mm-hmm. Um, they were they were also looking at settled dust concentration, mm-hmm. and they found similar results. The uh, chopped palm leaves did better. Um, they looked at the birds' uh, cell-mediated immunity, and they found that the broilers kept on chopped um, palm leaves had improved immunity. So yay! Um, they also looked at the carcass characteristics, and they found that no matter what what group they were from, there was really no difference. Um, so if you are raising chickens on a palm tree farm, chop up those dead palm tree leaves and use them as bedding, and I think you might see some good results. Uh, now, the question that I'm sure you're burning in your mind, Andy, is is what size were they chopped down to? Um, Fine, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, small size, um, but they were... You know, they were essentially um, they were essentially kept uh, in commercial conditions and in pen trials, and it was just you know down to a, a small size. Chopped straw and chopped palm mm-hmm. leaves are are about an inch or so long. That's what you want. So there hmm, you go. I that was kind start, of cool. I need, I need to start importing some of this and start my own brand of bedding. CW brand bedding made out of these. And, uh, well, don't you spend some time down in Florida? Who a Christmas chick might have an alternative out there if she's got some palm trees on her property. <laughs> That's going to be a lot of work with a pair of scissors to get that down to small enough size. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, there was another study that I don't know if you want me to take time to go through or not. Did I do something wrong? Andy, come back. I got disconnected oh. again. I told you I missed my headset. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So do you want me to go over one more bedding research or? Uh, totally up to you. If you got to run okay. and. Well, I'll make it quick. I'll make it quick. Okay. Um, 
there was some research done over in um, Georgia. Um, our yeah. good friends at UGA, um, yeah. they did this research. Um, this was published last year. They looked at alternative bedding materials. They looked at um, peat moss and chopped wheat straw. Um, yeah, peat and moss, then, of course, yeah, um, they found that peat moss and chopped wheat straw were um, found to absorb nearly eight times and seven times their own weight and moisture. So peat moss absorbed more moisture than the wheat straw. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They also compared this with fresh pine shavings. And, and, you know, mainly pine shavings are sometimes hard to get depending on where you are in the country. Um, sometimes, like on Delmarva, there was like one supplier for the entire peninsula, and they, they, had, they had it on lock, man. Um, so if you, if you had an alternative, you, you tried it. <laughs> um, body weight was lower at day seven for um, used litter and peat moss treatments uh, compared to fresh shavings. But when you looked at everything at day 42, there were no differences. Um, there was really no difference in the amount of ammonia or litter pH with the three groups. Um, litter moisture was higher for peat moss all the way through day 14. Now, one of the things we look at in our country since we sell the paws are paw quality, or what we call foot pad dermatitis. Mm-hmm. Paw quality was better in the fresh shavings and peat moss pens than in the used pens um, at day 21 and day 42. They also looked at the depths, um, the different depths that were used in mm-hmm. uh, fresh shavings on uh, foot pad dermatitis. Uh, foot pad dermatitis um, was one of the things they took a look at. In trial one and two, they looked at 2.7 centimeters, 7.6 centimeters, and 12.7 centimeters of fresh shavings or used litter. Um, So they looked at depth. They looked at different types of litter. They looked at used litter. um, And they found out essentially that... uh, Basically, the deeper litter had lower mo- uh, litter moisture than the, the the litter that was just a thin layer, 2.5 centimeters. So if you're going to put litter in your house, essentially put a lot of litter in. Don't scrimp. Make sure you've mm-hmm. got a good coverage all over the floor. The paws and the deeper litter were better quality um, than the, the tiny amounts of litter. Um, so, essentially, it didn't really matter in paw quality if you had 7.6 centimeters or 12.7 centimeters. Um, so, you might be able to get away with the little bit less than 12.7 centimeters, but, you know, you might have litter quality or litter moisture issues. Um, they did like peat moss. They said it was an acceptable alternative. Um, next step would probably be putting it in a commercial scale house to see how it affects the economics. So um, their their recommendation, boiler houses should have at least 7.6 centimeters of litter to control litter moisture levels and reduce foot pad problems. So for you guys, if you're raising your own meat birds, make sure that it's um, it's deep litter, and I don't know. 
find a good source of peat moss out there and give it a try for yourself. Maybe you'll be very pleased. Um, so there's a fun one for you, Andy. That's all I have peat for you moss. today. I would, have, I, would have, I would have never thought peat moss, but I've used it a lot <laughs> in my, you know, 48 years on this planet. I've used it and uh, a ton. I just would never, never dreamed of peat moss using in, uh, <laughs> in as bedding. Interesting. Peat moss is probably in my future because we're starting to amend uh, the soil for a, a garden when we get back from this tour. Ah. Um, we're going to be starting a garden, and uh, I'll be getting some chicks. I haven't decided who I'm going to get them from yet, but I'll be getting some baby chicks. I'll be doing some videos on that, and we're actually getting a great Pyrenees uh, puppy and then uh, a couple oh. goats and two pigs and two pigs. What kind so, of pig? Uh, um, I can't remember. We went and visited them last week, and um, I don't even remember the type right now. Were they meat pigs? But we're getting to. Yeah, they'll be meat. Yep, absolutely. Okay. So I don't eat sausage or bacon, and uh, Lily really does. Then why she used get to love pig? <laughs> the boy, the boy really likes it. He likes he likes sausage, and it's actually a freebie for him with his type one diabetes. It's like no carb or zero carb or whatever. So it's a, it's a snack that he well he loves. I did not ham you know ham ham sandwiches. But I just don't do bacon or sausage. But um, ah. yeah, so he um, he likes bacon and or he likes sausage rather, and he likes ham, and that's a freebie for him. So if he wants a snack, but we don't have to worry about you know a high carb snack, where we have to give him an insulin shot. Then you know sometimes. He, like last night, or snacky before bedtime. Can I have some sausage? Yeah, sure. Why not? Bacon is the candy of meats. Candy came bacon. Yep. All right, back in the day, man, but I just uh, can't do the bacon <laughs> and uh, sausage now. My gallbladder, gallbladder would explode. So um, <laughs> if I, if I had that. it would, without a doubt, without a doubt. So, uh, hey, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. And uh, it looks like we will see you back here. Um, April, and I need to check again our tour schedule. April, let's see, where are we going here? April or the 5th, April 5th. And that actually is the day before my first event, uh, first Thursday of April is April 5th. So we might be able to, I might be somewhere where we can do the show on the 5th. Um, and so I will keep you posted on that. Because whenever I'm traveling, it's always kind of sketchy. But, yeah. Um, I will let you. Uh, I will let you know the beginning of that week, and we can come up with another topic for then. Okay. But that sounds good. Hey, thank you so much for coming on. Great topic. I always love whole tree research translated. Great ones today. Fascinating. And uh, you have a good one. We'll see you back here in a couple of weeks. You too. Bye. Great. Thanks. Bye bye, folks. That was Dr. Bridget McRae, PhD. Uh, over there at Auburn University, and she's been coming on the show probably close to, I know, every bit of seven years, maybe even eight years now, Um, seven years, I think, and uh, the first and third Thursday of every single month, you can find her right here on Walk Talk Radio with Backyard Poetry with Chicken Whisperer. So, hey, just want to say thank you very much for tuning in today. Hope you found today's episode, Poetry Research Translated, fascinating. We do this every now and then with Dr. McRae, probably once every uh, couple of months, once every three months, and it's uh, fascinating. Online at chickenwhisperer.com, and hopefully by the next episode I'll have a, my headset working. Yeah, I think it's dead as a doornail. 
Um, I'll have another one for the sound call. It'll be back to par. So thanks for bearing with me with that. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. God bless everybody. Uh-huh.